Good morning. Welcome to the podcast of Jesper Baptist Church. We're beginning a new Sunday morning series entitled You Are Here. The first message in this series is entitled Fellowship. Please enjoy. Mark chapter 4 this morning. We're beginning a new four-week series starting today. I'm excited about it. Uh, Mark chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be in this portion of Scripture the whole time. And uh, I think there's something really important here that the Lord wants us to get a hold of here in Mark chapter 4. So if you have your places in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to invite you one last time to stand, respect, and reverence the Word of God. We're going to read our passage and then pray and sit back down. We're going to read the first nine verses of Mark chapter 4. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell in the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty Sixty and a hundredfold. And as he was saying, uh, and he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like I said, the, the, the series is called You Are Here, but the title of the message today is called Fellowship. I'm going to explain that in just a few minutes. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today, dear Lord. Dear Lord, I pray that you be with the teaching of your word. Lord, may we look at the scripture first and foremost and put the scripture that you've given us, that you've promised to us, that you said you would preserve for us. May we put it paramount in our minds and actually look at the words of what you're saying. Lord, may the word of God cleanse us and purge us, Lord, and restore us, Lord, and deliver us. And these are precious words, Lord. Lord, may the words of God do your, do your people good today. Be with the message, Lord. Be with those who are sick. Be with those in Haiti, Lord, with the devastating earthquake they've had and then storms. Lord, they, they, need, they need help. They need Christ. This might be an opportunity to get Christ to them, Lord. But I pray that you would just help them. They're having a real tough time. Be with our message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we say this all the time. And I'm getting close to 40. So I can start saying stuff like this. Man, these kids just don't know how good they have it. And, uh, I, you know, when, when I was growing up, when, when I was growing up, when I was you know, 19, 20 years old, and, you know, I got out on the road, and I could drive off places by myself, and I'd drive up to Chicago, and drive up to Michigan, and I didn't have Siri. I didn't say, hey, Siri, get directions to Chicago, Illinois. I didn't have that. I had a, I've told y'all before, I had an atlas behind the seat of my truck that I pulled out, and I turned to the state, and that's how I found out where I needed to go, and I didn't have a GPS where I could look on the screen and tell me how far I have left to go to my destination. What we had to do is we had to stop at these things called rest stops, and you stopped at the rest stop, and you got out, and you went into the big building, and there's a big map of the whole state on the wall, and somewhere on that map was an icon that said, you are here. And then you go over to the legend, and it's got a scale on it that tells you how far 100 miles is. 
So you measure it with your little fingers and you make sure not to move your fingers. And then you start counting to see how many hundred miles you have to go to your destination. And then to figure out how long it would take for you to get there, you had to do this little thing called math. Because you say if it's 500 miles and, uh, you know, I'm going 70 miles an hour, it's going to take me a little over seven hours. Because after all, our math teachers told us you're not going to carry a calculator around with you for the rest of your life. Little did they know that we would carry a calculator around with us for the rest of our life. But, uh, you know, that's what you had. And another thing that we did is you go into a mall. And that's another thing that's going out of style. Malls aren't cool anymore. And you go into a mall and you want to find a particular store and there's a directory and a map of the mall and all the stores. And on it, there's a little icon that says, you are here. You find out where you are. The scripture here, Jesus is giving us a road map here. And he's saying, I want you to determine where you are spiritually. We're going to go over four stages over the next four weeks. But before we get to this, Jesus has something he wants to stay look, to, to say. Look at verse 9. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Now, I want you to understand this morning that Jesus doesn't give offhand, flippant comments for no reason. Jesus has a purpose behind every single word that he says. He, he doesn't just give offhand remarks. And when he says about a statement or about a parable or about a statement he's about to make or a statement that he's made, when he says, he who hath ears, let him hear, he wants us to take notice. Now listen, there wasn't a bunch of people walking around back then without any, without any ears. They all had ears. So this is something spiritual. This is something, hey, this is something spiritual that I want you to take notice of. You know, back in my teenage days, when I, we had the Cobra Classic CBs and we had the fire sticks whipping in the wind and we had kickers hooked up to the CB that needed their own power supply so it wouldn't eat up our alternator. And we'd get the mic and we'd key up and man, we thought we were stepping in high cotton and we'd say things like, hit man the mad dog, mad dog, you got your ears on? And if an actual trucker actually talked to us, we'd stutter and stammer and not what to say, know what to say. But between ourselves, we knew the lingo. We say, hey, hey, mad dog, you got your ears on, mad dog. But what Jesus is telling us this morning, he's saying, put your spiritual ears on. Put your spiritual ears on. I really want you to listen to what is being said. Have you ever been riding in the car and you really don't want to listen to the radio, but you turn it on just to break the silence because it's just too quiet in that car. So you turn the music on and then you might start talking to your spouse. You might start talking to your husband or wife or talking to your passenger and y'all get a, a conversation going on, and then it almost gets to where, like, you're not even listening to the music. It's just on in the background. You really don't even know what's being said because you're having a conversation, and Jesus is saying, don't be like that with this. Don't be like that with this. It's almost like when somebody tells a story that you've heard over and over and over again. It's almost like the peanut butter and jelly sandwich story. Now listen, for me, I could listen to that story over and over. It's like watching your favorite episode of a sitcom. Any story where, where Marcus is in misery is a good story for me because it's just funny. <laughs> but here's the thing. I bet when Miranda McKenna hear it, they're like, here they go, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich story again. But now, now that you don't, some, most of you don't know the story, now you got to ask them about it after the service. 
And Miranda and McKinnon are like, thanks, Brad. Now I gotta listen to them tell the story again. It's almost like that. That we've all heard those stories that we tune out. We've heard them over and over. Don't let this be like that. And he tells us why. He tells us why this story is so important in verse 10. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. So they came and they asked him about the parables. Verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Jesus said, if you don't get this one, how are you going to get the rest of them? If you don't understand this one, how are you going to get the rest of them? What I teach on moving forward hinges on this parable. And if you don't understand it, how in the world are you going to teach others? Jesus taught in parables. Understand the word parable is two Greek words put together. The first word is para, and para means alongside. The second word is bali, which means to throw. So para, bali, parable. And it means to throw alongside. So this is a story that you throw alongside a truth to help people understand it. You throw it alongside truth. Hey, Jesus taught in parables. Jesus taught in illustrations. He was an illustration preacher. I've had people tell me before that I I use too many illustrations when I preach. I don't know any other way to do it. That's how Jesus taught. Jesus taught through illustration. Now listen, we are going to spend the next four weeks in this parable. And I know what we normally think. We always hear, oh, this is the parable of the four soils. I've been taught this since I was a kid. I know what people say about it. I know what this is about. So I can tune it out because I've already heard it a hundred times. It's a story I've heard over and over. It's a song on the radio that I've heard a thousand times. I, can, I, I don't have to pay the t- attention to what's going on because I've heard it over and over. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that with this. Now, people normally read this verse and they say, oh, I know this story. I've heard this story since I was a kid. I've been to church all my life. I know what this is about. This is about three bad people and one good person. I know it. That's what this is about. What I want to ask you today, is that what the text says? Is that what it says? Are we talking about three lost people and one saved person? Is that it's cut and dried? That's it? That's what we're talking about? I want you to turn to Luke 8. Keep your place in Mark 4, because we're going to come back to Mark 4. But I, this, this, this parable is in, in, in the first three Gospels, and it's called the Synoptic Gospels. And I, I want you to see this in another book, because I really, really want to understand what the text says. Look, I love, I love Pastor Grandpa. But I don't care what Pastor Grandpa has to say about this. I care what the Bible has to say about it. What does the text have to say about it? Okay? Now, we're preaching out of Mark, but I wanted to read this account in Luke. I'm using a New American Standard. That's what I'm preaching out of. But it says in verse 11, follow along with me. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. What is the seed? Word of God. Some people say the seed is Jesus. Okay. Well, what is Jesus called? Word of God. People say it's the gospel. That's, I'm the, I mean, that's okay. But where do you get the gospel from? Word of God. It says the seed is the word of God. That's what the Bible says. Verse 12. Those beside the road are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they 
will not believe and be saved. Verse 13, those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root, for they believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, fall away. So let's stop right there and really look at this verse and consider what this verse is saying. It says that they received the word. Let's stop. Think about that for a second. They received the word. Then it says not only did they receive the word, they received it with joy. And then it even says that they believed. Believe is to have faith. They believed for time. And then it says it did. It says they had no firm root. Now, this is a, this is the difference in a couple of translations. Your translation may say have in Luke that it has no root, where mine says it has no firm root. But the, the idea is, is that if it didn't have any root whatsoever, it couldn't grow at all. It didn't have firm root. Now, hold on a second. It, uh, if, let's, let's just use our brain for a second. If I just read that verse and I didn't know anything else about the Bible... I didn't know anything before it. I didn't know anything after it. And I just read that verse alone. It would seem to me that this is a Christian that either lost their salvation or lost their way. But I didn't know anything else about it. Let's continue reading. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are ones who have heard as they go on their way and choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Listen, we're going to have plenty of time to dissect this. We're going to have, if you don't fully understand the point I'm trying to make, we're going to spend four weeks in this passage. Plenty of time to dissect it. Plenty of time to get your, get your questions answered. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I don't have a market on the Bible. I don't have the secret code. I don't have it all figured out. I'm learning just like you're learning. Even though I'm the pastor, I don't have the, 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 the market on the Bible. I don't have it all figured out. And that's how we all need to approach Scripture, that we don't have it all figured out. Let me be completely transparent and honest with you right now. Let me say, first of all, that my feelings, when it comes to this Bible, my feelings don't matter. This Bible doesn't care about my feelings or your feelings. But I can tell you my feelings about my life. Now listen to me, because this, this is important. I want, you to, I want you to catch this. I feel like in my life, I have, I have been through all four of these. I feel like that. Have I ever heard the word of God, but it went in one ear and out the other, and I ignored it and I did my own thing? Absolutely, I have. 100%. Have I ever heard the word of God and, and, and knew what he wanted me to do. But then a test came up in my life and I was tempted in my Christian life and I was tested and tempted and I failed that test and I made the wrong choice. Has that ever happened in my Christian life? Yes. Man, I wish I could stand up here and tell you as a Christian, I've never failed a test. That would be a bold face 
why. Has there ever been a time in my Christian life when I received the Word of God and I knew what God wanted me to do, but then the the pleasures of this world or the worries of this world or the cares of this world swayed my decision and I made the wrong decision because I took my eyes off of Jesus and I began to sink and I made the wrong call. Has that ever happened in my Christian life? Yes. I've been there. Well, Brett, this is just all lost people. Well, man, for lost people, I've certainly lived a lot of that. Has there ever been a time in my life, in my Christian life, where I went through a season of fruitlessness? Now, I'm not saying I never bore fruit. I have fruit. I have fruit for my Christian life, but have I ever went through in my Christian life a season of fleshliness, a season of backsliddenness, a season of fruitlessness? And as much as I'm ashamed, and as much as I don't want to admit it, and as much as it hurts my heart to say, as much as I don't want to say that I've wasted that time, I have in my Christian life been through a season of fruitlessness. In my Christian life, I've experienced all of that. So to stand and say, oh, we got this thing figured out, man. We know what this is about, really. Sometimes I don't think we got it as much figured out as we think we do. But man, in my Christian life, I have experienced all of this. So even if you don't agree With this interpretation of this passage, you can at least agree that it is a valid application. That being said, that being said, this parable really isn't about the people as much as this parable is about an enemy. This parable is about an enemy. First Peter 5.8, be sober of spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This parable is about an enemy that wants to overcome you at every stage of your growth. And he uses different tactics and different methods at each stage in your growth to get you to fall. He is seeking someone that he can devour. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you the title of my next four messages. I'm giving you the title of them right now. And we're going to go through each stage week to week and talk about it. This first one we're going to talk about today is called fellowship. This is fellowship. And these are people that we're going to say they're exploring God. They may come to church They're here with us. They're curious. They're curious about God. They're curious about spirituality. They're curious about the things of God, but they have not yet made a decision for Christ. They have not yet learned that step that's going to take them to the next step. And you know what that thing is called that takes them to the next step? Grace. They have not found grace yet. You see, people in this category, they're still trying to work their way into heaven. They still think it's about what they can do. And they have not experienced that step that takes them on to the next step called grace. Grace isn't about what you can do. Grace is is about any of your effort, any of your work at all. Grace is about something that you don't deserve. And when you understand that salvation in God is not about your work, it's not about what you can do, it's about what He can do for you. Then you go on to the next step. This next step is called relationship. We went from fellowship, we're exploring God, but we found grace, so now we're in a relationship with God. And we're going to, so while fellowship is exploring God, relationship we're going to call beginning in God. 
You are beginning in God here. You are a babe in Christ. You're learning. The next step, we're going to call discipleship. So fellowship is exploring God. Relationship is beginning in God. Discipleship is close to God. These are people who understand that there's a cost, there's a price to pay, and they're willing to pay the price. This final step, we're going to call lordship. So we've got fellowship is exploring God. We've got relationship, which is beginning in God. We've got discipleship, which is close to God. And then finally, we've got lordship, and this is God-centered. So what's the difference between close to God and God-centered? When we get there, I'll, I'll tell you. Something for you to think about. But we're going to talk about these stages because let me tell you something. Satan wants to destroy all of these people. Satan wants to destroy all of these people. Satan has the tools. Satan has the tactics. He wants to hurt. If he can hurt, harm, stifle, or stop these steps, he has won. When you are lost and he can keep you from getting saved, Satan has won. When you are saved, he can't get your soul. But if he can, if he can, if he can stifle your growth, if he can stifle you to fruit, which fruit is where God wants you to be. If he can stifle that, if he can stop that in any way, he's also one. Because what's your fruit? More people getting saved. That's your fruit. If he can stop you, if he can stifle you at any point, he's one. Now, this is a map. And Jesus is saying, you are here. So my question is, where are you on this map? When you get to this last step, you have not arrived. In fact, of all the steps, this step is where you got to be the most careful. Because it's the easiest to fall off of. If you can backslide from this and fall back down the ladder, you have to go up it again. Your pride can allow you to fall back down and backslide. But listen, there's one thing that all four of these places have in common is they're all different stages of growth. They're all different stages of growth. Now, we're going to talk about this first group today, which is called fellowship. These are people who are fellowshipping, okay? They're fellowshipping with us, but they are not saved. This is the unsaved group. Um, how do you know this group are the unsaved? Well, I'm going to show you in a minute. The Bible tells us they're unsaved. Um, but my, your question might be, well, if this is the unsaved group, if this is the lost group, how can they be growing? How do you grow if you're lost? Well, here's the thing. A baby grows in the womb before they are born. And before you're born again, things have to happen. Before you're born again, the Holy Spirit conviction has to come. The Father has to call you. Maybe your lost family members are praying for your uh, salvation. Um, things have to happen. The Holy Spirit is pulling you to a church where you will hear the gospel. People don't grow spiritually. You can't grow spiritually as a lost person. As a lost person, you're spiritually dead. But you do grow in your understanding of God before you get saved. You grow in your understanding of God. Even though you're dead in your sins and trespasses, you cannot grow spiritually. You do grow in your understanding of God before you accept Christ. So fellowship is the first one we're going to look at. Go back to Mark 4 for me. Back to Mark 4. We're going to look at verse 14 and 15. 
Mark chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. The sower sows the word. What's the seed? The word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Now remember, this is in three, two other Gospels, and I'm going to read to you these verses in the other Gospels so we can get a full understanding of what's being said here. It's in Mark 13, 19 as well. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown, Beside the road. Now let me reread for you Luke 8, 12. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So it said, if you believe, you're saved. If you don't believe, you're not saved. This verse says this first group is unsaved. They did not believe. They did not get saved. We know that for a fact. Okay, so this is the unsaved group. But here's another interesting thing that Luke tells us about this. Did you know that Satan can come and snatch the word away from your heart? Did you know that? Oh, Brother Brad, I don't believe that at all. Don't take it up with me. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Those words are in red. Satan can come and take the word out of your heart. The seed is the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This whole parable, what is the enemy attacking? The enemy is attacking the seed. The enemy is attacking the word of God. Satan attacks me and you by attacking the word of God. That is his MO. That's how he works. When he was in the Garden of Eden, he attacked Eve by attacking the word of God. He perverted the words of God. When he was in the wilderness with Jesus, he attacked Jesus by taking the word of God out of context. He uh, attacks me and you by attacking the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is very important. If he can reduce, diminish, lessen, or weaken the word of God, he has won. He takes the word of God out of the hearts of people because he doesn't want them to be saved. Now listen, you may say, well, Brett, I'm not a part of this group. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I remember when I got saved, Brett, uh, I, I, this, this isn't for me. Yes, it is. Because even if you're not in this group, you know somebody who is. You know somebody who is in this group. You know somebody who is lost without God. Has anybody you know that's lost ever been through a tragedy? And then they come to you and they never want to talk about God. And they never want to speak about him. But they come to you and they ask you to pray for them. And you're like, this is amazing. I love my friend, but they never want to talk about God. When I bring up God, they shut me out. Now they're asking me to pray. That door cracks open just a little bit. But then you wait a few weeks and you find out that door is shut back. You want to know why it's shut back? Because not only did you see that door open, Satan saw that door open. And he swooped in, took it out. Satan follows up 
we need to follow up too. Man, when that door cracks open, we need to get in there and start praying and start giving scripture and start, start talking. Listen, you can't force anyone to be saved, but they don't need to remain lost because of a lack of effort on our part. Man, we see that door open. Man, swoop in there. Swoop in there. Follow up. Because I guarantee you Satan's going to follow up if you don't. Satan follows up. The word of God was sown in their heart, but Satan came and take it, took it out because Satan does not want you to hear the word. In fact, he works overtime so you can't hear the word. What are some things that Satan does to take the word out of our hearts? I think one thing that he does is called inattention. Inattention. Like I said, he doesn't want us to hear the word. He wants to, he's working overtime so you won't hear it. Maybe he keeps us up late Saturday night so we can't concentrate during the message. And maybe a, a distraction like a, a message on our cell phone keeps us from hearing the message. Maybe a thought pops into your head about that meeting you got tomorrow with the boss. But if he can distract us, if he, can, if he can distract us, then he can successfully take the word of God, snatch it away from us. It'll go in one ear and out the other. I think another tool that he uses is called ill will. We've got inattention, then we've got ill will. Another thing that can keep us from hearing the word of God is a bad attitude. It's a bad attitude. Maybe it's an attitude against the preacher. Maybe it's an attitude against the type of language he uses. Maybe it's a bad attitude about someone else in the room. Or maybe it's a general disdain about the truths of the word of God in general. After all, this book says that the, the preaching of the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. People hear it, but they despise every word of it. You know, sometimes we have a high opinion of ourselves. And then we hear that we're sinners and we're depraved. And we hear about where we deserve to go. And, you know, we get puffed up with pride and we get turned off by it. We hear a preacher preach on hell and we think, oh, man. I don't think that a loving God would ever send anyone to hell. And we switch it off when in actuality the story of the gospel is a rescue. The story of the gospel isn't bad news. The story of the gospel is good news. You mean I have to be sorry for my sin? I have to admit that what the Bible says is a sin is in fact sin. I have to acknowledge that. I have to turn away from it and turn to faith in Christ. I have to drop the identity that I have chosen for myself and embrace an identity that Christ has chosen for me. Disgusting. We turn it off. I don't want that. So you don't receive the word. There's another trendy word today. The trendy word is triggered. Oh, I'm triggered. Got a bunch of social justice warriors out here, keyboard warriors. They're triggered. Satan has done an absolutely masterful job in convincing the people of today that the gospel is about social justice. The gospel is all about inequality. Jesus does not want inequality. That is the gospel. The gospel is social justice. And I'm here to tell you today that the gospel is not social justice. That's not what the gospel is. There's a very far left, the far left, liberal mentality is they have an absolute horror of inequality. Now listen to me. Listen to me. 
Inequality can have massive negative consequences. I don't believe in inequality. I believe in equality. Equality of opportunity is something this Bible teaches. Galatians 3.28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Romans 2.11, there is no favoritism with God. Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor have this in common, the Lord made both of them. So I believe in equality of opportunity. What I do not believe in is equality of outcome. I do not believe in equality of outcome. I don't see that anywhere in this book. If I don't do the work that you did, I don't deserve what you have. I have to put in the work. Man doesn't work. He doesn't eat. Life does not hand out participation trophies. But there's an intolerance. Man, they, people call us conservative Christians. They call us, we are so intolerant. We're not the intolerant ones. The ones that are intolerant is they can't even listen. They can't be in the same room with someone that disagrees with their position. They're the idea police. If you don't believe exactly like me and, and, and believe like I believe, man, I, this just intolerance that they have and they shut us out and intolerance is sending people to hell. It sends people to hell. The gospel is not about what's owed to us. The gospel's not about what's owed to us. The gospel is about what we don't deserve. You see the difference? The gospel is about what we don't deserve. It's about grace. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. I'm not owed anything. In fact, I don't deserve it. And then number three, I think we've got ignorance is another thing. Satan is so good that sometimes the lost can't even grasp what's being said, much less be angry about it. So it's not like it goes in one ear and out the other. And it's not like it comes in the ear and I hate it. It's that it comes in the ear and I don't understand it. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this age, who is that? The devil. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. A believer can be moved deeply about the word of God and deeply affected by the word of God. But Satan has the ability to blind the eyes of people where they don't know what's going on. And Paul said, if you miss the message, it's not my fault. It's not the gospel's fault. You just miss the message. You're blinded to it. But don't misunderstand me. The fact that you miss the message doesn't mean you're just some innocent victim either. You see, Satan blinding you is not the only reason why you won't get saved. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The lost man loves darkness. And the lost love darkness. So you choose darkness and then Satan works overtime to keep you there. But he can only blind the ones who don't believe. He can only blind those who don't believe. And if you're tired of being blinded, if you're tired of being blinded by the God of this age, then put your trust in what Jesus did for you and then Satan can't blind you anymore. To see the glory of God is to be saved. Paul knew what he was talking about. 
Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus came and he was literally stuck, the struck physically blind and he made his way and then uh, he made his way to Damascus and he received Christ and when that happened his eyes were open not only figuratively but his eyes were open spiritually they were open to see the glory of Jesus Christ okay well you've came to church You're fellowshipping with God's people. You're exploring God, but you have not yet accepted His salvation. There's a few, just a few quick things you need to know about salvation. Number one, it's not based on works. It's not based on works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You cannot work your way into heaven. There is nothing you can do on your own to get there. You can't help enough people. You can't right enough injustice. You can't give enough to charity to earn your way into heaven. It is not of works. It is of grace. And grace is something that we don't deserve. And when you understand the concept of grace, then you can move from fellowship into relationship. John 6, 28, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And the answer to that is nothing. We are sinners. Did you know that? Did you know we're sinners? Romans 3.10, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just one sin is enough to separate you from God. It's enough for you to fall short of God's glory. Here's the bottom line. You do not deserve it. We do not deserve it. Our sin has separated us from God. And number two, I want you to know it's a free gift. It's a free gift. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you see that? For the wages of sin. How do you get wages? You work. And that's all your work will ever produce for you is death. But eternal life is a free gift. Why? Because Romans 5, 8, but God commandeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did that to give us this free gift. He made a deposit in your name. When Jesus died on the cross, he filled the bank account up enough for everybody that ever lived. There's enough in the bank account for everybody. He died for the sin of the whole world. And there's a bank account with your name on it. And if you accept that deposit, it pays off your sin debt in full. And that's a good thing. Because if you die and your sin debt isn't paid yet, there's a price to pay. Romans 20, uh, Revelation 20, 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what your work gets you. That's the wages of our work. That's what it gets us. But if Jesus pays off your account, you can hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then number three, it's easy to receive. It's easy to receive. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You confess your faith in Him. You believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You turn from your old life to new life with Him. It's so simple. I don't know why people try to overcomplicate it. It's not that complicated. God made it simple. Well, 
in honesty, in truth, it really is the most complicated thing in the universe. How in the world can a, a sinner, a sinful person, have a relationship with a holy and righteous God? But he took the most complicated thing in the universe and he made it so simple that a child can understand it. That you even have to have the mind of a child to receive it. Repent. And believe. Saturday, February 18th, 2001, one of NASCAR's greatest drivers, Dale Earnhardt, known as the Intimidator, he was on the last lap in third place of the Daytona 500. His car was tapped from behind, sent him into the wall at 180 miles an hour. People, that race ended right after that. People celebrated for just a few moments. But then they knew something was very, very wrong. Dale Earnhardt had died in the crash. On the following Monday, an autopsy revealed that he died from blunt force trauma to the head. Now, some people have suggested that if he would have been wearing a new device called the head, neck, and safety device, hands for short. There's a very good chance he would have survived the crash. This device was, av was available, but Earnhardt turned it down. In fact, he made Junior wear it. That race, he told Dale Jr., you are wearing this because I want you to be safe. But he said, for me, I'm too set in my ways. I'm too set in my ways. I've, I'm going to do it the way I've always done it. And his neglect of that safety device may very well have cost him his life. God offers salvation to all, yet many neglect to take it. Don't be one of those. you're lost in here today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today's your opportunity to receive Christ. If you are saved, you just heard how to tell people how to get saved. Now what are you going to do with that knowledge? Every about every eye closed. We're going to have an invitation in just a minute. As always, if you're in here and you do not know that you're on your way to heaven, you do not know that you're saved, today you can get that taken care of. You can come down to this altar during the invitation and we'll take a Bible and show you how you can know that you're saved. Now you can know that you're on your way to heaven. You can get my attention after the service and I'll show you. We'll, we'll, we'll sit in the back and I'll go through the Bible with you. If you're online today, if you're on Facebook and you don't know, you can reach out to me on, uh, over Facebook and I'll come talk to you about it. But don't. Don't neglect the thing that can save your life. Don't neglect the thing that can save your eternity. Oh, this is so important. The only way to take the next step is to understand the grace of God. It's a free gift. We didn't deserve it. We don't do anything to get it. 